Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com/achieve today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner 3 days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, hello fresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at hellofresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. an episode-by-episode podcast guide through the UK's greatest video game challenge TV show, Games Master. I am one of your hosts, Luke Owen, always up for a bowl of lentil soup. And much imitated, frequently intimated, and inside thigh agitated, I am Ash Versus. This episode aired on the 21st of January 1993. Surprise, surprise, Whitney Houston's I Will Always Love You still top of the charts and... We've still got a few good men at the top of the UK box office. Now, I'll be honest, I'd all prepared to discuss deep cover this week. Turns (laughs) out I was wrong. That's next week. And this week we're still looking at a few good men. Which is lucky because back in episode 15, when this was first top of the box office, I said that we would get to talk about the John Cena JBL WrestleMania 21 promo. And you said, well... We've only got a few weeks off this. You might not get time. Well, Ash, I've got time now because we've got one extra week of A Few Good Men. Do you want to talk about that promo? Shit. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, let's talk about the promo. Let's talk about that entire thing because for some reason, apparently we have an affinity for wrestling. And (laughs) there was WrestleMania Goes Hollywood where they did a whole series of spoof trailers, commercials, scenes based on Hollywood movies. There was Taxi Driver. They did um, when, Har- uh, when Harry Met Sally with Kurt Angle and Christy Hemme. Basic Instinct? Yes, they did that. And of course, Basic Instinct was that scene. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they did Pulp Fiction, which was also that scene from Pulp Fiction. And they did the Few Good Men spoof with John Bradshaw Layfield, uh, then going by the initials of JBL, and a fairly young John Cena. And the thing that I find most astonishing about this particular spoof is they're actually really good in it. I have just one more question, Colonel. If you gave an order that Orlando Jordan was not to interfere in your match, and your orders were always followed, then why were Doug and Danny Basham at ringside putting the big show in danger? Orlando posed no threat to my opponent. 
I never said anything about Danny or Doug. That's not what you said. You said there'd be no interference. That's correct, but you I... said he was in no danger. I said grave danger? You said, is there any other type of danger? I recall what I said. I can have the court reporter read it back to you if you I want. I know what I said. I don't have to have it read back to me like I'm some kind of child. Why were the Bashams at ringside? Colonel? Sometimes men take matters into their own hands. No, sir. You made it clear just a moment ago your men never take matters in their own hands. Your men follow orders or you lose the championship. So Orlando and Doug and Danny Basham should have stayed away from ringside. Am I right, Colonel? You snotty little bastard. I'd like an answer to the question, Judge. Enough, or I'll hold you in contempt. Did you order the Bashams to interfere? You don't have to answer that question. I'll answer the question. You want answers? I think I'm entitled to them. You want answers! I want the truth! You can't handle the truth! Son, we live in a world where I am the champion. And this championship must be guarded by my men at whatever cost. Who's gonna help me defend it? You, Cena? I have a greater responsibility than you can possibly fathom. You weep for the big show, and you curse my men. You have that luxury. You have the luxury of not knowing what I know that Big Show's loss, while tragic, probably saved this company. And that my existence, while grotesque and incomprehensible to you, sells pay-per-views. You don't want the truth. Because deep down in places you don't talk about at parties, you want me to be champion. At WrestleMania, you need me to be champion. We use words like spectacle, grandeur, majesty. We use these words as the backbone of an event that is bigger than life. At WrestleMania 21 on April 3rd, this will never be truer. I have neither the time nor the inclination to explain myself to a man who wishes he were half the champion that I am and then questions the manner in which I defend it. I would just rather you say thank you and order the pay-per-view. Otherwise, I suggest you lace up your boots and meet me in the ring. Either way, I don't give a damn what you think you are entitled to. Did you order the ringside interference? I did what I had did to do. Did you order the ringside interference? You're Damn right I did! Yeah, the reading, I was watching it because I clipped a bit of it into episode 15 as a bit of a tease that we could talk about it at a later date. And re-watching it back, it does hold up remarkably well. And the acting's really decent. Now, JBL has not really had much of an acting career, so to speak. I think he had a couple of bit parts and walk-on parts as part of the general WWE slash WWF cross-pollination with other network television. John Cena is having an acting career, not quite at Rock the Dwayne Johnson level, but he's been in a number of movies, both on the undercard, so to speak, and headlining the movie. And the one that leaps to mind most recently would be Bumblebee, where, yeah. I guess, second or third billing. Yeah, I think that's fair to say. Yeah, behind a robot. And also kind of as a villain. He was one of the main antagonists of the movie. Not being necessarily evil, but just being very militant. Yeah, I mean, I've been really impressed with John Cena in his acting roles that he's chosen thus far, doing a lot of comedy with that Amy Poehler sort of Will Ferrell troupe, which I think was a really wise move. You know, you get in with some of the, the people who are always guaranteed to get movies made, and that means he's always had cameos within those movies. And I've always really enjoyed him as an on-screen presence. I think he's a very, very likable on-screen presence. And I've interviewed him a couple of times. And he is a really, really professional man. That's to be the word I would use to describe him. 
We did an interview with him last year to promote playing with fire and we got to play a game with him. So the game we devised was, you know, sort of point out the the fire risk in this photo. And we devised like some of these crazy sort of Photoshop things of a sort of an old wood house and there would be fireworks next to it or it's next to a volcano that's erupting or there's the dragons from Reign of Fire. That movie, the, the dragon movie sort of... I know Reign of Fire, that's actually quite a good movie. <laughs> it's quite a good movie, <laughs> flying over it. And without like any hesitation, he didn't want any like preparation for it or anything. As soon as we handed him the photo, he instantly knew what his hook was. So you can obviously see that the house itself is the main fire hazard here. It's been, a long, it's been around for so long that the wood is dried out. And if a fire were to get next to it, this place would go up like a bucket of fireworks or a campfire that was raging out of control. The main and only fire hazard in this photo is the house. <laughs> he was really, really good. That's nice to hear. And the best thing is, we've just talked about John Cena doing lots of other things, and therefore I've managed to mostly steer you away <laughs> from talking about the Few Good Men segment. <laughs> um, there were no big games released this week, but... Games Master Issue 2 is out in stores. Ash, what's in it? Now, we've done our bonus episode on Issue 1, and we thought it was a really strong start. And as I've been going through Issue 2, picking out highlights that we can talk about over the next four to five weeks, Issue 2 doesn't slow down. But one of my favourite bits, and that I'm going to use to play a little bit of a game with you, mm -hmm. is a rumours column. Oh, love a rumour, mate. And they say at the top... In the absence of any real news, we've made some up. Well, not quite. At any given time, there are hundreds of juicy rumours floating about. So each month, we'll print the slightly more plausible ones. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to go through each rumour, and then I'm going to ask you if that rumour came true mm -hmm. or it didn't. Okay. Right, okay. I'm, I'm ready for this. Okay. Don't worry. You, you're, you've got your serious concentration face on. This isn't Quizzlemania. This won't be that complicated. <laughs> Here's a rather interesting one. Currently doing the rounds in Japan and America, console giants NEC are considering launching the Turbo Duo CD-ROM console in this country next year. The, uh, true. False. Turbo Graphics CD not come over here. The Turbo Duo CD never got an official release in the UK. The Turbo Graphics oh. never actually got an official release in the UK, and most of the machines that were sold and imported by companies into Europe were the Japanese or American machines and actually still outputted an NTSC signal but went through a converter cable or had an extra chip fitted to the board. Uh-huh. So, okay. so zero points. Oh dear, I'm off to a bad start. Okay, another one. There's a new bit of kit out guaranteeing to revolutionise home gaming called the Super Gun. This device connects to a SCART TV and enables you to play arcade PCBs on your own television. Imagine your very own Street Fighter or Bomberman 93 game in your own home. Watch this space for more info. So, okay, so I think I might have misconstrued that thing because when I heard Super Gun, that made me think of it was like shooting games, but they're talking about Street Fighter stuff. So it's basically like having an arcade board at home, right? Basically, yes. It's an adapter yeah. board that would let you plug an arcade PCB into a standard SCART television and play it. False. 
It's true. <laughs> it was a device used to play arcade games in lieu of a full cabinet. I mean, I would have wanted one. Absolutely, me too. It plugged into a jammer board, which was one of the main standards used for arcade games, and provided a native RGB video output that could be placed through a SCART connector. In North America, the Super Gun also converted the RGB signal into a composite video, S-video or component video, with varying degrees of quality, and sound was by default mono line level. So you didn't Mm. get the stereo sound or the Q surround sound, but you did get the ability to play arcade games in the home. Dear me. It's not showing off my gaming podcasting prowess, really, is this? No, no, no. (laughs) But it's okay. There's still three more to go to get redemption. I can pull this back. I can still be more up than I am down. Rumour has it that the follow-up to the Giga-influenced adventure Darkseed, which is previewed in this issue on page 32, will be programmed specifically for the new Amiga 1200. A CyberDream spokesperson commented that they only found out about the new machine at the end of November, but are now keen to see how far they can push it. Now this relates to a news item we've got coming up later where we talk about the Amiga 1200. We do indeed. Uh, I'm going to say true on that one. You get half a point. Okay. Because it's neither true nor false. Right. Darkseed 2 never came out for any Amiga. It came out in 1995, and at that point it came out on the PlayStation and Saturn and the PC. Mm. Darkseed, the first game, got an Amiga CD32 release. Okay. And the CD32 was technically an Amiga 1200. And it was an enhanced game with narration, music, enhanced graphics, sound, yada, yada, yada. So, half a point. Half a point, half okay. A point. That's, I'm on the board. You are on the board. <laughs> Although, in fairness, I would have been on the board even if I'd said false, because either way, I was going to get half a point. Yeah, I did, I did kind of put that one in there just in case. It was a softball. This one's been doing the rounds for some time now, although it seems to have a fair bit of actual truth to it. UK developers Argonaut have come up with a chip for the SNES which enables you to utilise super fast 3D images. The chip will be built into their carts during development. It may make them a little more expensive, but it should be worth it for more realistic 3D games. It's the Super FX chip, right? Yes, it is. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) One and a half points. (laughs) I'm not going to go too much into the Super FX chip now, purely because we will be covering that in detail as Star Fox, Super FX, Stunt Racer, so on and so forth come out. Yeah. So one and a half points. Okay, it's all down to this now. You literally have a chance to get a 50% hit ratio. The word from Action Replay manufacturer's detail is that after the success of the Mega Drive, SNES, NES and Game Boy Action Replay carts, they are now developing cartridges to be used by the Master System and the Game Gear. These projects are still in the early stages of development, although no firm release date have yet been set. Uh, okay, I'm, I'm trying to recall the action replay segment we had where they talked about whether or not... Uh, what was it? I'm going to say... False. I think the mass system was on its ass by that point. Oh, bollocks. Yeah, you saw my face. No, it was true. And you're right, the Master System was on its ass by that point, but if they were going to the effort of developing it for the Game Gear, because the Game Gear shared some common hardware platforms with the Master System, it wasn't actually that difficult to reverse engineer it. And in fact, in the next month or so, we will start to see adverts advertising action replays for the full Sega family. 
bugger. One and a half points out of five, Luke. Well, I'm glad you're listening to uh, this video game podcast that I've been... It's a bit of a passion project of mine. Well, to be fair, the passion project was Games Master, not the guy on the other end of the video call throwing random rumour trivia from 1993 in your direction with zero warning. (laughs) That was very fun. Uh, I've learned a lot. There was a lot to learn. (laughs) Before we get into the main episode, though, there was one thing that we wanted to bring up. The week that we're recording this, we actually got in touch by someone who has been on Games Mastered Series 2 and has featured on this podcast, specifically on the Christmas episode, the grandchild of Bob Holness, Sam Gibson, or Oliver Gibson, got in touch with us uh, via email. Because one of the things we talked about in that episode was the discussion as to whether Bob Holness was getting his grandchild's name wrong, just being a granddad, or your theory that he was uh, giving him sort of a work name as opposed to using a shoot name. Yeah, and it turns out that I was wrong, but also half right. Yes, if, this is the fifty percent. <laughs> if you get if you get half a point for that bit of rumor, then I think I get half a point for this. I think that's fair. Yes. So we got this email in from Sam Brackets or Oliver, uh, who said, "To whom it may concern, I wanted to express my thanks and delight at coming across your podcast about Games Master. I believe my brother Tom dropped you a tweet about how we're not the same person. Actually, though, my real name is in fact Sam and not Oliver." Bless Bob, it was too much for him to take in. If you're interested in my experience of the day, I wrote a silly little article about it a few years ago, which you may enjoy, which we've got a link to in the podcast description down below. Uh, So thanks again. I'll eagerly await your podcast in the future. Regards, Sam, Brackett, or Oliver. And yeah, he's linked us to a Gizmodo article from 2013. That one time I was on Games Master, and it is a brilliant read about the day. It is. It's a wonderful little article, and it's also... It's amazing to be approached by someone that, I'll hold up my hands, of all the people that I've kind of tried to find or looked for online or reached out to, looking for Bob Holness's grandkids never occurred to me. No. I mean, obviously, I guessed that you guys were still out there, (laughs) but it never occurred to me. And therefore, for you to reach out to us is wonderful. I've never been happier to be wrong. The thing that I really loved about the article in the day of the recording is that it, it talks about how that he'd never actually played Volfeed, although he, you know, he quickly learned that it was just quicks but based in space, which is exactly what you said uh, on the the episode. But he talked about like going into the green room where he was going to practice playing Volfeed, uh, and this is what he wrote. I'm led to a games room to practice. Being the middle of July, it was the Christmas special, so tinsel was everywhere. And what do I spot in the corner? A Super Famicom, the Japanese import of the SNES, and it's running Street Fighter 2. Straight away, I made a sonic boom over to the Super Famicom and blasted Hadoukens and Ryukens across the screen until the cows came home. And then they told me it was time to go to set to be filmed. Whoops. So no practice then. And then he reveals that, yeah, he actually played the game about three times before he got that 48.8% take that ends up in the episode. It's amazing, but I can't blame him because if I'd walked into that room and I'd been given the chance to play Quicks in Space or Japanese Speed Street Fighter on the Super Famicom, I'd have thrown the challenge just to get my hands 
on that because July, I mean, that was hot from Japan. Absolutely. The other bit that really made me laugh here is after he'd kind of like messed it up twice, Bob Holness whispered to him, don't worry, I'll let you win. This is the quote from the article. How did I end up being bested by my grandfather doing what I love best on national television for all my friends to see? So he mentioned earlier in his email that we'd also had a tweet from his brother, and indeed we had, who tweeted at us a few days ago saying, sorry to burst your conspiracy theory bubble chaps, and confirming Grandad Bob was just mixing up his grandkids. I was there watching whilst my brother Oliver played the game. Cheers, Tom Gibson. And his own little PS. Also, I'd have beaten them both, and the real conspiracy was me being kept out of playing and winning that golden joystick. <laughs> Fantastic. So we may have lost one conspiracy theory, but Tom <laughs> has gifted us with another. Hashtag Tom was robbed. <laughs> okay, settle down now, come on, you're too kind. I'm not worthy. All right, welcome to Games Master. Much imitated, frequently intimated, inside thigh agitated. This week we've flown some more lucky, lucky people out to the rig resort for video game playing and other buoyantly anti-social activities. So let's kick off with some oral intercourse with the great man himself, the Games Master. No, please, stop all of your applause. We're not worthy of it. We're just a video game podcast. Much imitated, frequently intimated, and inside thigh agitated. This was a great introduction to the episode. Do you know what stops the inside thigh being agitated? What's that? A dose of talc. Stops the friction mm. build-up, keeps you dry particularly when you're getting sweaty which you might need when you're playing our first game so why don't we find out what that is over with the games master greetings by a public demand i've been forced to initiate tonight's proceedings with a decidedly unsavory motorbike encounter on the road rash too as a greasy leather-clad biker our first easy riding contestant will need to punch kick and wheelie his way to the second flag in first place on the hawaii level my gaze will be most decidedly adverse. Oh, he's unhappy about this one, isn't he? I think he was unhappy the first time we played Road Rash as well. I was going to say, this is continuity. This is this is <laughs> them going, oh, wait, he didn't like the first Road Rash. He's sure as hell not going to like this one. <laughs> so, yeah, we're playing Road Rash 2. Punch, kick and wheelie your way to the finish flag on the Hawaii level. Games Master will not be looking. Yeah, he says that this is by public demand, but I had a question mark of public demand or publicity department demand. <laughs> We said this about Road Rash back in Series 1, but for me, the Road Rash series gets good when they put it on rollerblades and rename it Skitchin. Skitchin! Your Skitchin obsession will be the death of this podcast. <laughs> but one thing I will say is that while Road Rash 2 was mostly a rebake of the first one with split screen and a few other additions, including Punching Policeman, it does look and run a lot faster than the first one. This mm -hmm. looks like a much more fun game. Yeah. It featured a couple different variants of a two-player mode. You could either play split-screen or one after the other. You could select weapons to wield for kind of a mano-a-mano -a -mano mode. And, as we discover in this challenge, they expanded the setting outside of California because this challenge, we're in Hawaii. Oh, like a lily. Come on, you want to lay me. We're just good friends. <laughs> now, the first Road Rash started to come out September 1991. I'm guessing that would have been North America, probably. Mm. EA clearly knew they had something good on their hands because they'd started development on Road Rash 2 
before the end of the Christmas season in 1991, and they got that game pushed out for December 92. They wasted no time in farming this one out, a trend that would go on to become something of an identifying mark for EA-related titles. <laughs> Adding to the other smells of burnt rubber tonight is Marlon Rose from Leighton. <laughs> Marlon, how's it going? All right, turn around a bit, mate. Okay, lovely. Now, Marlon, first of all, someone must tell me you've got quite a trendy haircut. What's the score with it? It's got Games, Games Master written on the back of it. Right, you'd like to turn and let our camera get a little look at that? See that at home? What a lovely font that is as well. Superb. All right, now, listen, we're playing Road Rash 2, right? It's not on the easiest level of the Hawaiian race. Um, are you that confident? I am that confident. All right, then, well, I look forward to seeing how well you do. And adding to the other smells of burning rubber, it's Marlon Rose from Leytonstowe playing this game. Who has got... A very nifty haircut. This trendy little lad has got Games Master shaved into his hair. Yeah, I bet that broke some uh, school uniform guidelines. Uh, Dominic says this isn't the easiest level, but Marlin is very confident. And he's right to be confident because he's not bad at this game, at least at the start of it. And riding pillion with me for this challenge is Game Zone's Jane Goldman. Welcome, Jane. Hi, Dominic. Now, obviously, Marlon's got no problem with his haircut. He may have some problem with the game. Have you got any tips to alleviate him? Well, I think Marlon should just bear in mind that time is of the essence here, Dominic. So he shouldn't get too bogged down with all the rough stuff. He should just get in there and just go. Just keep it clean and go for the line. Well, Marlon has to finish first on the Hawaiian race stage two. Before we get to that, it's Jane Goldman. Yes, from Game Zone. This is the first time she's actually been in the commentary booth. We've seen her in the review zone, but it's actually very nice to see Jane outside of that arena. Absolutely. And also, she's a talented writer already because she beats Dom to the punch with the double entendres, saying that Marlon shouldn't get too bogged down with the rough stuff. He should just get in there. At which point, <laughs> Dom is a bit confused because he's like, hang on, the filth is my kind of market but yeah okay yeah you should just go for the finish line <laughs> so off the bat i really really liked this challenge i'm just going to put that out there now and it's because it is up and down all over the show like this kid starts off really confident on this he's playing on an arcade stick uh this way we find out you can punch the police there's this big jump over the police car he goes up from ninth slowly 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 getting to sixth he's up to third and then runs into a car. Oh no, back down to sixth. And Jane says that he cannot afford to come off his bike again. He gets back up to third, punches a police, then nearly, nearly gets into first place, but hits a stop sign that sends him right back to fifth. Jane, with a little dig there, said, He's really going to have to pull out all the stops now, Jane. Perhaps he should have tried to walk to the <laughs> It goes downhill rapidly for him, but when he oh, first yeah. starts walloping the policeman, Dom makes a reference saying that this has nothing to do with the West Midlands Serious Crime Squad. They were a police unit that operated in the West Midlands, my original stomping grounds, from the mid-70s through to the end of the 80s. And they were disbanded after an investigation into allegations of not only incompetence, but abuse of power on part Ooh. of some of the squad's members. <laughs> so not the most topical because, you know, three years prior, but that joke would have just gone over the heads of everyone watching. I had to Google it because my adult brain was going... That rings mm. a bell. And of course, growing up in the West Midlands, that would have been definite front page news for me and my family at the time. So it does go downhill for Marlon here. As we said, he nearly gets into first place, hits a stop sign that sends him back down to fifth. He's got half a mile left on this race. He hits another car. He goes further a bit. 
and hits another car. And Dominic Diamond is pissing himself in the commentary booth. One of the moments where both Dom and Jane almost completely lose it is where he hits a car and then as he's getting on the bike, a car hits him from the other direction. He couldn't have dodged that if he'd wanted to because he couldn't see it coming. He's only got half a mile left. He's in fourth place. No! He's been oh, a up again. It's a tragedy of immense proportions here. Oh! <laughs> He doesn't even finish the race. He actually runs out of energy and gets carted away to the hospital. That went horribly wrong for him at the end. Uh, I settled out of it now. Save yourselves. Now, Marlon, I tell you, bad luck, but that was brilliant. I was so hysterical. Jane and I were nearly wetting ourselves up there. What, what were some of the problems you faced? The cars. I couldn't see them when I went over the hill. They, they weren't letting you alone, were they? No. Maybe you should have got some armour plating on the bike as well. Yeah. <laughs> have you enjoyed it anyway? Yes, I have. Well, listen, it's been absolutely brilliant to have you on, Marlon. And the kid looks slightly upset, which isn't helped by Dom coming down and going, <laughs> me and Jane were wetting ourselves up there. That was hilarious. And the kid just gives a look towards the game as if to say, you will rue the day. <laughs> He's never playing Road Rash 2 ever again. I love just being like, bad luck. But it was funny. So you got our name shaved into the back of your head. You <laughs> kind of screwed that one up. Oh, well, guess you won't get any stick about that. I bet he'd grown it out by the time it's aired. Oh, 100%, yeah. Well, actually, this was probably filmed during the summer holidays because, as I said about the school uniform thing, I wasn't joking. Stuff like that would get you into trouble at schools. So he probably had it done once he knew he was going on the show in the knowledge that he could grow it out and then shave it back up again before starting term in September. I loved that challenge, probably for the same reason that Dominic Diamond and Jane Goldman seemed to enjoy that challenge. I felt really bad for the kids because he has gone on to national television and he has balled this up to a incredible degree. But it was, I mean, it, it had peaks and troughs and it was quite funny towards the end. Now, the game looked good in this. Let's just get that out of the way. This game looks mm -hmm. so much better here than it did with Road Rash 1. Yeah, in Series 1, yeah. It looked more fun to play as well. It looked a lot more fun. The punching action, the fact they built up the combat, and yeah, the fact you could, you know, punch a few members of the highway patrol. And you got behind the kid because first half to two thirds of the race, he's doing really well. And then when he comes off that first car, it's like, no, you can get this back. You're going for the underdog at that point. And the second time, there's still a chance. And the third time, stop, stop. He's already <laughs> dead. <laughs> He gets hit by a car and Jane Goldman says he can't afford to get hit by another. Well, Jane, he got hit by five more. In fairness, that's not another, that is a many. <laughs> yeah. He departs, no joystick and very little joy. <laughs> Poor kid. Poor kid. This week, games players everywhere could come over all hip and trendy as we look at cult games. First up on the Super NES, grown men wear shades in Blues Brothers. Jake and Elwood are trapped in a mutant jukebox, help them escape through 32 levels of platform japes. The word cacks used a lot in the computer game industries and this sums up Super NES Blues Brothers perfectly. No attempt has been made to follow the film's excellent plot and what's left is a tired run-around platform game. The graphics of Jake and Elwood are cartoon style, but the game's more too difficult and 
I don't think it's worth the money. The levels are really frustrating and really badly put together. And there's just nothing to keep coming back for more. It's cult games in the review zone this week. A rather broad term, it must be said. Yeah, not a sign of the Manson family or anything. <laughs> Steve Merritt from NMS, James Collett and Paul Anglin from CBG are here. And first up on the docket, it's a terribly shit game. It's Blues Brothers on the SNES. This game was misguided. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. I actually played it in the lead up to recording this and it is just... It's just a bit bobbins. It's a lot bobbins. I didn't play it in the build-up to this because I played it before and I had no (laughs) desire to put myself through that again. I mean, Steve Merritt is up first and he points out that the word cack is used a lot in the computer game industry and it sums up the Super Nintendo Blues Brothers game nicely. He says, No attempt has been made to follow the film's excellent plot. Now, I love the Blues Brothers. It is one of my favourite musical films of all time. I would never describe this film as having an excellent plot. The plot is paper thin, really. But that's fine because that's all it needs to be. The humour is provided by the characters and the situations they find them in. And it's still got more plot than Blues Brothers 2000. I went to see that film at the cinema. (laughs) Same here, mate. (laughs) I was the only person there... Even the usher walked out. (laughs) But the young whippersnapper, James Collette, he points out the graphics are a cartoon style. Well observed, child. Well observed. Mm -hmm. But the game is miles too difficult and he doesn't think it's worth the money. Right on both counts. Absolutely. And Paul says there's nothing to keep you coming back. A very sad 51% for Blues Brothers on the SNES. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, Ash. The day that we're recording this, the Twitch stream that you're doing over on our Twitch channel is 16 bit tie-ins right tv tie-ins ah dang it i was gonna gonna suggest you could play this nope way ahead of you (laughs) film tie-ins will come back around down the line with themes and i'm sure one of the blues brothers games at least will be tackled at that point next up that cocking soundtrack can only mean this doctor who on the amiga floppy coats and jelly babies abound as you rescue hostages from four cities and give the daleks and davros a good kicking nice playability Recommend it, yeah. The playability is not that bad. It's nothing you're going to play for weeks on end, but probably worth a look. You would have thought with 29 years of Doctor Who, they could have come up with something a bit more inspiring and what effectively is a run around shoot em up. The best way to describe Dalek Attack is average. Well, a game I'd also like to see you tackle at some point is Dalek Attack on the Amiga, which you've spoken about at length on this show already because you were not not really a fan of it and i did want to play this before we got to record it but on the modded xbox that i've got with all my emulated stuff on there unfortunately i don't have dalek attack well you're lucky because guess what you don't have dalek attack (laughs) now spoilers these guys are actually much more generous with this game than they were with blues brothers and more generous than I would be. It is a scrolly, jumpy, shooty game because, you know, when you think of Doctor Who, you think of scrolly, jumpy, shooty. The Doctor, that well-known wielder (laughs) of shooty weapons. Yeah. You jump around the world, London, Paris, New York, Tokyo, and Skaro. You know Skaro, that well-known holiday destination. (laughs) somewhere just down the coast from Chroma. And at the time, it was released on all major formats, except the Amstrad CPC-464, you know, the computer that I had. (laughs) It was announced but never released. And it came out on the PC and Spectrum and the Amiga and the Atari ST, and it's the Amiga version we're looking at. Now let's talk about the positives. It looks pretty good. 
Mm. It's nicely rendered. The monsters look like they should. If you like a MIDI version of the Doctor Who theme, it sounds pretty good as well. And the price is pretty favourable. £14.99. Oh, very tasty. And would be reduced below that fairly quickly. It got a Spectrum release, which shocks me, because at this point the Spectrum was dead, but there was literal public pressure to release it for the Spectrum, to the point where people were writing in, and so Alternative Software wrote back to them saying, OK, we're making it, and included a sticker of the box artwork saying, I've been exterminated, which I thought was a nice little touch. Yeah, the Spectrum nice. version was very much pared down a lot of the monsters that had been removed, so essentially it was mostly just the Daleks, the Ogrons and various other creatures had gone. And it got a few re-releases over the years. It got put out in a three-pack called the Sci-Fi Collection with Galactic Warrior Rats and Suburban Commando. There's a Suburban Commando game. Yes, there is. (gasps) Oh, that is one I'm going to have to seek out. You do that. You do that, (laughs) Luke. Let me know how you get on. (laughs) And it kind of has a cult following to this day. Don't ask me why, because while James is on board, he says nice playability and he'd recommend it. Anglin joins in and says it's not bad, not something you're going to play for weeks on end, but probably worth a look. Steve Merritt is the guy that I align with because he says you'd have thought with 29 years of Doctor Who, you could have come up with something more inspiring than a runaround shoot 'em up That's exactly my point and the point I've maintained ever since it came out. Sure, I was slightly excited. I was a Doctor Who fan in 1992-93. There wasn't much else to get excited about at that point. But where was my point-and-click adventure? Hilariously, my note reads, Steve says that you'd have thought that they'd come up with something better after 29 years of Doctor Who. Is he Ash? Might have regenerated, you don't know. (laughs) But his closing thoughts are the best way to describe Dalek Attack is average. And I'll be honest, I wouldn't have given it 73%. It's a functional game that looks all right, it plays all right, it sounds all right. It doesn't really do anything with the license. The same accusation you could actually easily level against Blues Brothers applies here. Finally, Star Wars on the Game Boy, as in the film, travel from Tatooine to the Death Star, rescuing friendly robots and girls with strange hairstyles. The animation is really very good, and it's a very involving and challenging game. The platform shoot 'em up's good, the graphics are good, nice music. But on the driving levels, there's nothing to do. It's too boring. Game Boy Star Wars is excellent, and I recommend you try it now. But not Star Wars on the Game Boy, a fantastic conversion of the NES game. Paul says the animation's very good. James says the platforming bits are good, but the driving sections are boring. Strong disagree. Steve calls it excellent, recommends it 80%. I had Star Wars on the Game Boy and bloody loved it. Star Wars was great on the Game Boy, it was great on the NES, it was great on the Super NES. It was even great on the Game Gear. How often do you get to say that? (laughs) The dawn of 32-bit machines has arrived. The spanking new Atari, Acorn and Amigas make the present 16-bit Mega Drive, Super NES and Amiga 600s look positively weenie. Tonight we compare the three new boys with help from Alistair Borden from Atari, Simon Lovesy from Acorn and Kelly Sumner from Commodore. First of all, why the new machines? Well, Atari Falcon is aimed at the home user as a revolutionary new home computer, all singing or dancing. Mum and Dad can do their desktop publishing, word processing and run the family business, whilst the kids are enjoying the latest in uh, stunning games. The uh, person who wants quality graphics, quality sound, a machine that is versatile and easy to use. Interesting feature this week, while the console wars are in that 16-bit arena, the computer war 
is getting into 32 bits. So we've got Alistair Borney from Atari, Simon Lovesey from Acorn, and Golden Joystick winner Kelly Sumner from Amiga to take us through them. Now we see why he was on the challenge. It was clearly a case of, well, if I'm coming down to record your fluff piece, you're going to put me on the TV. <laughs> I mean, in fairness, he did win the Golden Joystick, so... I guess justified, certainly more justified than this piece. It has the potential to be incredibly interesting and a comparison of these three new powerhouse computers. And they ask them all a series of questions and their answers are meaningless. One of the immediate things that struck me about this segment is I remember the acorns because we used acorns at school for a while, certainly until PCs became more affordable and more easy to use and some of the posher places got Macs. Acorn and BBC Micros they were what you saw in your schools. Yeah, absolutely. That's what we had. I know the Amiga 1200. We've talked in the past about how I always wished I'd owned an Amiga. The Atari Falcon. Mm-hmm. When I first saw this bit, I actually had to go and make sure this was released because I couldn't <laughs> remember ever seeing it. And it's a shame because Falcon, what a great name. Yeah, it rolls off the tongue, doesn't it? The Atari Falcon. Yeah, it's a it's a sexy name. Yeah. It wasn't really a sexy machine, as we'll continue to find out. <laughs> uh, 65,000 colours. Each pixel can be a different colour. 4,096 colours. And at any one time can display 256 colours on the screen. 16.7 million colours. Because on the matter of graphics, Alistair says the Falcon has 65,000 colours and each pixel can be a different colour. That is a meaningless statistic. <laughs> that really is. Slightly less meaningless, but also less impressive, the Acorn offers 4,096 colours and it can display up to 256 of them at any one time. So it's okay for animated GIFs, basically. Pretty much, yeah. But it's the Amiga that's got the big guns with 16.7 million colours. And boy, does Kelly know he's got all the pixels to play with. But it's still a meaningless number. You're talking about graphics. Uh, 16.7 million colours. Okay, how many of them at once? 16.7 million colours. What's the refresh rate of the screen? 16.7 million colours. That's number wang. This has got 16-bit stereo recording, 16-bit stereo playback, at quality better than CD or DAT tapes. A standard, the A3010, comes with eight stereo channels built in. The Amiga 1200 has four-channel stereo sound. So a mixed bag of stuff. Again, mostly meaningless especially for the average user, but also they say better than CD quality. I'm fairly certain CD quality is 16-bit. Mm. So how? <laughs> also, at that quality, how much of it are you actually storing on a hard drive or, God forbid, yeah. a floppy disk? <laughs> Currently, there are over 50 games being developed. Uh, many of these will be released in the first three months of 1993. Currently, there are over 250 games available, but this is growing rapidly. 1,500 to 2,000 currently work with the Amiga 1200. <laughs> By January or February of uh, this year, you would probably see something like 20 or 25 games, which are only available on the Amiga 1200. But here's the important bit, the games. So 50 games are being developed for the Falcon to be released in the first three months. 250 games are on the Acorn, and that is growing rapidly. But 1,500 games work with the Amiga 1200, and by February, there'll be 25 games exclusively available on the system. It's also 
the cheapest of the lot at 400 quid, whereas the other ones are 500. The Amiga, knowing the worth of backward compatibility, it wasn't complete, but the fact is you could sell your Amiga 500 or 600 to offset the cost of the 1200 and still keep, hopefully, most of the games that you love from that system and have some exclusive titles to look forward to. It really is a absolutely meaningless little fluff piece, which disappointed me because when it started, I was excited. I was like, oh, this is good. And then once we got the answer to the graphics question, I was like, oh, this is kind of useless. And then we got <laughs> to the sound question. I thought, oh, they're just saying words and then redeem themselves a bit with games. Yes. Yeah, I think the games is the really interesting bit. And of course, who was the winner of this home computer war? The PC because the Falcon bombed, <laughs> the Acorn bombed, and the Amiga 1200 marked the end of Commodore's ventures into the affordable home computer market. Yeah. None of them won. Everybody died. <laughs> well, hopefully not everyone will die thanks to the Global Gladiators, but who's going to be playing this game? Here's more from Games Master. Hello again. My second challenge for the evening sets the world to rights with the touch of environmental do-gooding on Global Gladiators. With disinfectant to hand uh, and green fingers to boot, our cleansing contestant has two minutes in which to negotiate the polluted landscape of level one and reach the exit. <laughs> Anyone for lentil soup? <laughs> I love Global Gladiators. It's such a fun game. I'm not the biggest McDonald's fan. I think the food is cack it is quite literal fast food i'm quite obsessed with the company in terms of as a business model there was a documentary recently about the the monopoly game they did and how basically the mafia rigged it so that all their mates won which is a really really good documentary there's a film that was uh, made about it with michael keaton not the that but you know about the the creation of the the brand so i'm quite obsessed with it in that respect but i don't like their business practices however I love this game. This game was a wonderful bit of propaganda because it was at a time when McDonald's were trying to change public opinion on their environmental practices. They were getting rid of polystyrene containers. They were moving to card and paper that could be recycled. My opinion on McDonald's, I've not always been a fan of their business practices. I've not always been a fan of their food. But if it's late at night and I don't want to have to think or worry about allergens, they're a safe bet because pretty much every cheeseburger is going to be the goddamn same. Well, when I was uh, when I was a freelance film critic a few years back, I'd travel into London to go and watch um, press screenings of films. There were always a little bit of awkward times because I would essentially watch the film over what would be like lunch. So I would either have to eat before or eat after. And typically I would usually eat after because I've had breakfast on, on my way up. So that meant that I would have to travel back to Reading to in order to eat. So what I ended up finding myself doing is eating a lot at McDonald's because I was in Leicester Square. There's McDonald's pretty much everywhere you turn. So I would eat there a lot. I was honestly eating McDonald's about four times a week at one point. This is when I was also at my heaviest and I was eating McDonald's four times a week and I had the same thing every single time a large Big Mac meal, whatever side they were doing as a promotional thing, and a double cheeseburger. Honestly, when I was at my biggest, I'd have probably done the same. Yeah. I try not to eat at McDonald's too often. There is something about the double cheeseburger though, isn't it? Yeah, it is. I think it's just the, it's the combination of tomato sauce and mustard and the gherkin that I just think makes it nice. It's a comfort food. The thing is, you know 
that if you go to any McDonald's in the country and you buy a double cheeseburger, it's going to taste exactly as you expect it to. Yeah. And there is something comforting about that. And that's actually one of the things it's it's quite interesting. What I don't think is a particularly great film, the founder does go at length to talk about that, about how Roy Kroc didn't want change. You know, there were some franchise, there were some McDonald's franchise in the early days that were trying to add new things to the menu or change the way that it was presented. And Ray Kroc was like, no, 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 it has to be the same wherever you go in the country. And indeed, in a lot of different countries, McDonald's is a very similar experience. It does get a bit interesting when you move outside of the Western world. McDonald's Japan, very different. One last thing on McDonald's that I wanted to, because this is a proper nostalgic thing for me, is uh, do you remember the changeables? The McDonald's Transformers. They were great. Our urgent mission on Earth is to stop the Munchoids stealing the Happy Meals. But how? Listen, guys, we break down into microbots to cross the galaxy, okay? Then instead of rematerializing big, let's duplicate ourselves. So that everyone gets one of us in their Happy Meal and we'll beat the Munchoids! Each week there'll be a different one of us in every McDonald's Happy Meal and the box will transform too. Good work, Fry. But hurry, prepare to transfer. <laughs> Oh, weren't they just? Some Happy Meal toys were brilliant. And it makes me kind of sad that so many of the ones today, they're not creative, they're not imaginative. But I guess the reason they're not is because I think McDonald's target audience has shifted. And I don't think kids go to McDonald's as much as they used to. When I was a kid, McDonald's birthday parties were a thing. Uh, Oh, yeah. And you can still do them now, but I don't think it really happens anymore. No, I certainly don't think so either. Uh, but anyway, Global Gladiators, great game. Love Mick and Mac. I think they're really cool characters. And it's a virgin game, which means it's got a banging soundtrack that you will have heard probably a fair few times over during this segment. And the game looks and moves great as well. And there's a very simple reason for that. And it's because it was made for Virgin by Dave Perry. No, not that Dave Perry, the other Dave nope. Perry's development team the one that would turn into shiny entertainment this is using the same engine as aladdin and cool spot and all those games that looked and moved beautifully and this game corporate tie-in or not looks and moves beautifully on global gladiators tonight we're very lucky to have a globe-trotting rock legend please welcome first lady of international pop kathy dennis thanks very much for joining us now, listen, surely you're far too busy to be wasting your time playing with Game Boys, are you? Um, no, I like um, I was a big fan of Tetris for a long time. Uh-huh. And uh, what about well, this game? They're a wee bit different. You're actually mm. saving the environment here. Is that something that's, that's important to you? Yes, it is. But, um, I mean, this is an unusual way of going about it as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> it's, it certainly is, Kathy. And playing this game, it's the first lady of international pop, Kathy Dennis. I'll be honest, I had to look her up. Same here. And there's, I think there's a reason for that as well, because looking at her musical career, she had eight US number ones and five Ivan Novella awards. Her highest UK single was Touch Me All Night Long, which reached fifth in 1991. She was never like top of the charts material. In fact, I'd argue that her music career was better when she was writing, really, because she wrote tracks for Kelly Clarkson, Will Young, Britney Spears, like Toxic for Britney Spears, Katy Perry's I Kissed a Girl. I mean, she wrote Can't Get You Out of My Head by Kylie Minogue. Like, she's written some banging tunes. And even back in the 90s, she wrote the B-side for Wannabe, 
called Bumper mm. to Bumper, and she was heavily involved in S Club 7, which provided a major outlet for her songwriting ability. She wrote Never Had a Dream Come True, Two in a Million, Reach, Natural, Have You Ever? No shame in it. Absolutely no shame in it whatsoever. But this was, I think, around the time when she was trying to boost her career again. And I think that she is on this show because Dominic Diamond fancies her. You can't blame him. She is a very attractive woman. Mm. Yeah, I was going to say, she looks cool as well. It's like classy and cool. She's kind of a pop star fonz. <laughs> and this is the moment she jumps the shark. <laughs> but she's far too busy playing with Game Boys, uh, but she is a big fan of Tetris, and she is passionate about saving the planet, although playing Global Gladiators is an unusual way of doing it. Yeah, given the sheer amount of unrecyclable materials and carcinogens produced making a Mega Drive and a cartridge <laughs> and goodness knows what else, and the fact it is attached to McDonald's, <laughs> it's doing nothing for the environment. Gotta wonder how Dominic felt about this, bearing in mind that one of the reasons he leaves season three is because of the McDonald's tie-in. I'll be honest, we can ask him in a season and a half's time, but they don't really push this game as being McDonald's property. It's mentioned once or twice, but certainly it's not a sponsored by or let's push a Big Mac in people's faces. And in fact, the game itself doesn't like prominently feature Ronald McDonald. The main focus of the game is save the environment. Yeah, exactly. You're collecting golden arches along the way and Ronald McDonald is there at the end of the levels, but it's he's not the start. This is not like McDonald land. I mean, no, for a start, this game's good. <laughs> yeah, true. Okay, if you at home want to see if Kathy Dennis can save the world on Global Gladiators, join us after the break. In front of Malcolm are two sandwiches. One is a ham sandwich, and the other is a ham sandwich with a craft cheese slice in it. Now, the ham sandwich has this much calcium, and the sandwich with the ham and craft cheese slice has this much calcium, more than double the amount. And uh, what do we need calcium for, Malcolm? Shoes? Uh, not exactly. Hairdressers. Craft oh. cheese slices are calcium yummy. It's chicken McNuggets that really do it for me. The very sound of it. Nugget, nugget, nugget. Hence your Chinese? Yeah. Nah. Curry? Yeah. Nah. McDonald's? Yeah. Yeah. Hello, darling. Did you have a nice birthday? You went to McDonald's? I could murder a Big Mac. I mean, what do you really want out of life, Catherine? I mean, really and truly. I want a chicken sandwich and a strawberry milkshake. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. 
$45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Excuse me, do you remember your first dime? I. The first dime bar you ever had. Do you remember it? I. Dime bar? Dime bar? Hello? Well, thanks for joining us. Crisp butter almond and smooth milk chocolate. You never forget your first dime. Et blokes and nutter. Oi, nutter. Welcome back. We're very lucky to have Kathy Dennis with us tonight about to pit her skills on Global Gladiators. Dave Perry from Sega Pro is with me to give Kathy some tips about playing. Welcome, Dave. Hi, Dominic. All right, give us the rundown. Well, basically, Global Gladiators is a really beautiful game. The thing to look out for is the invisible platforms. You only notice them when you pass through them, and at the top of them is usually a really nice health bonus. Which you're going to need if you want to complete this. Which you're going to need if you're going to get through this level. That's right, it's quite tough. Kathy's got two minutes to get to the end of the level. Back from the ad break and bad boy David Perry is in the booth in his leather jacket trying to look cool for Kathy Dennis. He's animal in nature, although not yet animal in name. <laughs> yeah, Dave says that you've got to find the secret platforms for health bonuses, but starts to lose his train of thought a little bit and Dominic Diamond has to rescue him to be like, and she might need those in order to finish the level. He's like, yeah, 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 that's what I meant. He's distracted by Kathy. <laughs> they just... They're just swooning over her. So you've got a custard gun as you're working your way through this and Dominic Diamond clearly believes him. Custard gun? Because yeah, McDonald's well known for its custard. <laughs> yeah, all these slime monsters have to be destroyed with this custard gun. They are horrendous. Is that a custard gun, Dave? I, I, I guess it's custard. I, I can't think <laughs> what else like I thought it was a disinfectant gun or something, or cleaning gun. I think that's what Games Master said, and that's what I believe it to be. I think that's what it is. I think Dave Perry was just having a bit of a laugh, but Dominic, not knowing, just was like, oh, cool, a custard gun. Dave Perry's a bit afraid this could actually happen to the Earth if we don't all muck in together. And unfortunately... Kathy's run of this game is taking a few hits, nearly falling into slime, and then eventually falling into slime and the challenge is over. Yeah, I do just want to touch on Dave the Evangelist Perry because he suddenly finds his voice and he could be stood on a soapbox in Hyde Park Corner. He's up there going, yeah, this will happen to the planet if we don't get our act together. we got to save the planet, protect ourselves from the radioactive sludge. Freedom! Be more like Mick and Mac. Eat a cheeseburger. <laughs> now, Kathy, the world has been destroyed, taken over by slime, and it's all your fault. How do you feel? Very, very bad. <laughs> so listen, what went wrong? It was a good start. And then what were some of the problems? 
Um, I, I should have kept um, on a higher level. I was like at the bottom all the time. And um, I think I should have been a bit more cautious because I was a bit risky. A wee bit risky for, for this time on a Thursday, you are, Cathy. That's me. That is me. Listen, don't ever go changing, Cathy, all right? <laughs> So unfortunately, the world is over and destroyed by slime, which Kathy does feel a little bit bad about. Yeah, she says she feels very, very bad and giggles. She's an immensely talented writer. I'm sure she's a lovely person. She really doesn't want to be there. No, I got that impression as well. She does say that she should have kept to the higher levels and been a bit more cautious. Uh, Dominic Diamond says, yeah, it was a bit risky for a Thursday evening. But that's just her, I guess. Don't ever change. That that was a real plea from Dominic there. Like, please don't ever change. <laughs> yeah. Well, he was satiated by her. Yes, yeah, satiated by her presence. Careful now. <laughs> so, Luke, I can see you've got your tome in your hands. Yeah, let's see what Dominic Diamond had to say about her in the Star Riggers. Rock legend Kathy is the babe of Babylonia, as far as the boys in the Games Master office are concerned. Is this turned into Wayne's World? I know. She'd be Babraham Lincoln. She's a robo-babe. In Latin, she would be called Babia Majora. I once said that to a girl in my school who I fancied. How did that pan out? Not well. Um, (laughs) (laughs) uh, Dominic continues, And for some bizarre reason, the day she came down, everyone had their best clothes on. Everyone had shaved and even our researchers had washed to celebrate the occasion. Unfortunately, Kathy's game-playing skills didn't quite match her niceness as she failed most dismally on Global Gladiators. But we can forgive that slicest of failings. Game-playing skills off the scale dismal personal niceness off the scale in the nicest way oh hello games master welcome up to the helipad and fire away with your question on crusty's fun house is there a way of getting to the later levels yes there is simply enter the following password s m a i l l i w That's Williams backwards. And the entire game is yours to explore. Thank you very much. First kid in the consultation zone is stuck on Krusty's super funhouse and wants a level select cheat. It's S-M-A-I-W... Sorry. S-M... Basically, it's Williams backwards. uh, And the entire game will now be open to you. And do you know why it's Williams backwards? Why is that? Because the original developer was Fox Williams before it became a Simpsons cash cow. Ah, very nice. And that would be (laughs) S-M-A-I-L-L-I-W. All right, smartass. Where's the magic cape on Zelda 3? I'm sorry, but if you don't say please, you don't get your questions answered. Next, please. Our second kid can't find the magic cape on Zelda 3, but... He didn't say please, so Games Master tells him to leave. (laughs) I love this. You didn't say please. Piss off. (laughs) And may I see this storage facility? No. And why not, Mr. Bankman? Because you did not use the magic word. What is the magic word, Mr. Bankman? Please. Hello, Games Master. I am near the end of UN Squadron, but I cannot kill the Guardian that hangs from the ceiling. Can you help me, please? The answer here lies in the weapons that you can equip your ship with at the beginning of the level. Before you launch into the fray, buy the gun pod weapon. When you reach the end of level, Guardian, let rip with this gun pod weapon, and you'll soon have him waving the white flag. 
Thanks a lot. So instead, we get a kid who's stuck on the Guardian on UN Squadron. See, he wasn't equipping the right weapon. You need to buy the gun pod, and that will have him waving the white flag. Yeah, this was an arcade port from Capcom, originally known as Area 88 in Japan. It was changed into UN Squadron for North America and Europe. It's a pretty good little horizontal shooty type game. It's quite hmm. fun. The ability to customize your loadout and you can earn money to buy new weapons and power-ups. It's a nice feature. It kind of raises it above your standard shooty type game. Hello, Games Master. Could you please tell me where the magic cape is on Zelda 3? That's more like it. Go to the top right-hand corner of the graveyard in Light World, pick up the small box, then dash into the stone using the Pegasus shoes. You should then reveal a passageway down to the magic cape. Thanks very much. The second kid is back again, and this time he says please. That's more like it. You've got to dash in the gravestone in Lightwell to reveal an entrance, and there you can get the cape. Yep, you've got to run headfirst into a gravestone, which, generally speaking, I'd recommend about as much as I would punching a police officer. And it's time for our final challenge, but rather than going to old Chrome Dome, let's hear what Dominic Diamond has to say. For the final challenge, it's time for another all-comers challenge on the rig. He's back again this week after a stirring victory seven days ago. British Nintendo champion, Thomas Patterson. Okay, Thomas, you're a good win under your belt last week. You're still confident? Yep, sure am. Yep, no problems for you at all? No. I like this guy, I tell you. All right then, if there's any member of our audience who'd like to take on Thomas Patterson in any Nintendo game, stick your hands up in the air. Okay, let me see. No, definitely not you. Definitely not. How about this? Yes, the gingerhead fellow there with the spectacles. If you'd like to make your way down, give a round of applause, everyone. Welcome to the show. What's your name? Keith Pentland. And where are you from, Keith? Keith Ness in Scotland. Keith Ness. Right, listen, Keith, what are you going to challenge Thomas on tonight? Super Soccer on the Super Nintendo. Right, football. Now, Thomas, I know you're a Rangers fan, but you're also intelligent. Is this a problem? <laughs> I don't know, Tim. Oh, sorry, damn it. <laughs> <laughs> Funny guy. Uh, I think I'll win. I should. All right, then. If you'd like to take your places in, Keith will put you on the left. Thomas on the right. Keith, I hope you stuff him. So Thomas Patterson is back for another challenge, still confident after winning last week. Dominic Diamond likes this guy. Uh, and they pick out a little ginger fellow with spectacles. Yeah, chap called Keith Pentlin who's from Keith Ness. We have three Scottish people on the stage. <laughs> I fear for the subtitlers that had to cover this for teletext because there are some thick accents on stage. Oh, it is thick, isn't it? Um, and speaking of thick, Ash, it was bound to happen. It's Super Soccer, a bit of a nemesis of yours. Yeah, I'd like to say I went back and played it and made amends, but I couldn't be asked really. <laughs> But this is Dominic Diamond's wheelhouse as well, because not only are they playing a football game, there's three Scots on stage that he can have loads of football-based banter around all the clubs he actually likes. Indeed, because Dom is a Celtic person, and he says to Patterson, I know you're a Rangers fan, but you're also intelligent. Is that a problem? And Patterson's like, I don't know, Tim. Oh, sorry, Dominic. <laughs> and all three of them laugh. Now, do you know why he called him Tim? No. Now, at first I thought, oh, there's got to be a football pundit called Tim or maybe someone associated with Celtic or with the Rangers. But no, a Tim is basically a Celtic supporter and a term that's frequently used self-referentially 
by Celtic supporters. The original is thought to come from a Catholic gang from Calton in the early 1900s, which named itself the Tim Malloys. Because, of course, the Celtic Rangers thing is very much Catholic Protestant and also why it can often turn very violent and very unpleasant. Now, sometimes Rangers fans would use the term in a derogatory way, but I don't think that's really how it's being done here, especially mm. the way Dominic laughs it off. I think these two are having some good-natured banter back and forth. Yeah, I think that Dominic really likes this kid. Which is just as well, because he thinks he'll win and that he should win, whereas Dominic hopes that Keith thrashes him. While our nubile young T-boy Cameron fishes this game out of the store, I'll have a little chat with Jim Douglas from the Games Master magazine. Jim, any net-busting tips for this game? Yeah, the man-to-man marking is very good, so dribbling is probably the best policy. Also, the uh, best way to tackle is to get a shoulder barge in, but if the referee sees you, you will be sent off. Okay, we are playing two one-minute halves here. Keith Pentland against Thomas Patterson. Are you ready, guys? Yep. Then kick off. Games Master Magazine editor Jim Douglas is back in the booth for some net-busting advice. You need to pass and dribble and also advises using the shoulder barge to tackle, but don't get caught. Yeah, they're chatting while apparently the rig's nubile young T-boy is finding <laughs> the game. So, Ash, you loved this game. Why didn't you take us through the action of this one? I hate you. <laughs> Not as much as I hate this game. But this is actually a really fun challenge, and it does show why as much as we've kind of rumbled at how often we got football games throughout season one when they work they work and this one works the game kicks off keith is playing as holland thomas is playing west germany there's a reference that dates this Mm -hmm. and it's savage from the offset the referee has clearly got his spectacles turned down low because there are a lot of shoulder barges that are just not called at all the time ticks down there's a couple of decent runs on goal but with 30 seconds left on the clock keith goes one goal up six seconds later richard's drawn it equal with a belter of a goal in the back corner now keith takes another run from the center line but his shot goes wide thomas picks up the ball plays the passing game off a goal kick takes a decent shot it rebounds off the keeper but he catches the rebound knocks it in we cut to a kid in the audience who is either going wild or shooing off flies it could be it could be either of them yes we get into half time my notes just read this is way better than the kickoff challenge we had a few weeks ago with Ian Wright. I'd say this is one of the best football game challenges we've had, purely from the aggressiveness of it and the skill. Now, he is not walking away with these challenges as much as Danny Curley did for the first couple. No. But it's making for a better challenge. Yeah, absolutely. Because the second half of this is also all action. There's balls off the post. There's amazing saves. There's a really good attacking by Keith. Finally, someone gets booked towards the end of this because it's been quite argy-bargy. But the final kick of the game is Thomas with a free kick and he picks up the win and remains undefeated. That's a great game, but... Listen, Keith, I had all my hopes on you. You started off well, you gave me an early goal, then what happened? Well, the goalkeeper, he just must have taken the day off. Terrible. Well, which means, although I'm loath to admit, Thomas, you played a brilliant game and you won. What have you got to say for yourself? Well, the goalie was like Gordon Marshall, but yeah, that's another goal, so I won easily. <laughs> right, well, I think we can discuss that one well into the night. Listen, Thomas, we think you're too good for a, anything like a golden joystick, but will you come back next week to take on someone else? And you sweat. We go to the post-match and Dominic says he had all his hopes on Keith. He started well, gave an early goal. What happened? 
And Keith says the goalie must have taken the day off. <laughs> Dominic says he's loath to admit it, but Thomas played a brilliant game and won. What's he got to say for himself? And Thomas says, ah, oh, the goalie was like Gordon Marshall, who was a Celtic goalie, mm-hmm. and let lots of goals <laughs> in easily. Dominic doesn't let that one slide and says they can discuss that well into the night. Once again, he's denied a joystick because he's just too damn good. But will he come back next week? I near sweat. Near sweat. <laughs> the most Scottish thing that's been said on Games Master yet. Brilliant. Yeah, I really enjoyed that as a final challenge. That was a really, really great, great football challenge. Easily one of my favourite football challenges we've had on this entire series so far. We've probably got some crackers still to come because football games will get better and better as time goes on. Yeah, Series 3 is going to bring in FIFA. Like that's when we finally get FIFA International Soccer in our timelines. That's when we're going to get a lot of focus put on that game franchise because it becomes the game franchise. But I would say that this Super Soccer Challenge is my favorite football challenge we've had since Series 1, Episode 1 with John Fashioning. That was a good challenge. That challenge, I think, was more fun, mm. but this was better gameplay. Yeah. And also, impressively, on a game that wasn't as good. Yeah. They got an amazing challenge out of a so-so game. Well, that's the dinner gong and supper on the rig tonight consists of crabs pinchers with cheesy nibbles. In two weeks' time, we'll have an exclusive 3D challenge on Games Master. So if you'd like to see lots of objects thrusting their way into the inner sanctum of your living room, be sure to pick up a pair of these essential eyewear accessories. We'll be giving you the details of how to lay your hands on them after the credits tonight. In seven days' time, we'll be having a little bit of a 3D tryout in preparation for the big one, so pick up your glasses quickly. Good night. Have you got your 3D glasses at the ready, Ash? Because we're going to need them for next week. We're going to need them for next week, and we're definitely going to need them in two weeks' time when we have a 3D challenge. Got crab pinches and cheesy nibbles on the menu. Finally, something I can really bloody eat. I'll have the cheesy nibbles, thanks. Crab only makes me slightly ill. (laughs) So I'll have some of that. And you know what? We can both have some of that lentil soup from earlier. That's right. I was so happy to be offered lentil soup because God knows it's been thin pickings on this show recently. (laughs) You're starving, mate. So yeah, next week we've got a 3D tryout and then in two weeks time, a full on 3D challenge. Uh, And Dominic Diamond bumps into the diver as he's trying to leave because he can't quite see through the 3D glasses he's wearing. Comedy pratfall number three. (laughs) But he really does wallop into the diver. The diver (laughs) nearly stacks it. There's acting and then there's, oh, a fully grown man just barged into me and I wasn't quite prepared because also the visibility was not great in that diver's outfit. And I imagine got quite kind of um, fogged up over time. Mm. But they are super keen for people to participate in this 3D thing because if you're already a member of the Games Master Club, you'll get a pair. If not, you can call up and get a pair. If you buy issue two of the magazine, you get a pair. There is a 3D feature in the magazine as well. Is it really? Oh, wow. Yeah, we'll look at that in the timeline as we get to that episode. Spoilers, you know what the magazine feature will be then. They want to make a thing of 3D. And you know what? This is a theme for 1993. Yeah. The BBC starts to do stuff with 3D. It plays very much into children in need later in the year. It's an interesting one. Yeah, I remember seemingly every single magazine you bought came with a pair of 3D glasses. And it's odd because I genuinely thought 3D was dead at that point because it became popular in films in like the 50s. It was very big for B-movies. 
Then it did again in the 80s. Horror movies in particular loved 3D, Jaws 3D, Friday the 13th, Part 3D. 3D. <laughs> but no, TV decides to pick up and run with it. And so we get another resurgence this year. Although we have two types of 3D. We have the standard red-blue 3D. And also we're now starting to see the polarised lenses 3D, which is more in line with the 3D that you still get today. So which is good prep for me then, because the 3D glasses that I've got are Friday the 13th 3D glasses. And those are the red and blue ones. Am I going to be all right with those ones? Yeah, you should be. Okay, wonderful. And you know what? You can test them by watching Friday the 13th 3D. Oh, it's so good in 3D, though. It really is. I'm quite (laughs) jealous. I don't have a 3D copy of it right now. I need to sort that. So, Ash, that was episode 17 of series two. We're less than 10 episodes away from the end of this series. What did you make of it? I mean, I want to start by saying I love how we got some setup for a future episode. We've been told about challenges, but we were given two weeks notice to get 3D glasses. Mm -hmm. I really hope this pays off. Spoilers, it kind of doesn't. But I really (laughs) hope this pays off. The episode itself, I thought was pretty good. The first challenge, a lot of fun. That was a nice first challenge. It started off as a really good bit of game playing and then fell into a comedy of errors. The review section was good. We saw some interesting games. We saw some cult games. Mm -hmm. Their definition of cult is almost as loose as their definition of historical games. The feature, while pointless, was kind of cool because we saw the Atari Falcon, which I'd completely forgot existed. Celebrity challenge. The game was good, but it was pretty dull. Yeah. Essentially, the most entertaining part of it was watching everyone trip over themselves <laughs> being around Kathy. Yeah. Consultation Zone was fun. We got a fairly nice cheat for Krusty. We got a nice little bit of interplay on the importance of manners. And then the third challenge, which was the high point of the episode from a gameplay point of view, because it was just solid all the way through. Absolutely rock solid. What are you thinking score-wise? I'm thinking I'm going to be fairly generous. I'm going to go 80%. That's exactly the score I had as well. I had 80% down. I really, really got on with this episode. I enjoyed the first challenge. Like you, very good comedy of errors. Felt bad for the kids, but I I did laugh a lot. And I enjoyed global gladiators being on the show despite the fact the challenge wasn't really great and i really really liked that that final challenge fun review zone good consultation zone feature was a bit naff but overall i thought it was a very very solid episode and i i really really enjoyed it it's the kind of episode we've not had in a while where everything's yeah. just nice and it clicks in one way or the other even where some elements let a section down like the celebrity challenge other bits pick it back up including a love lawn dominic diamond <laughs> an eco warrior dave perry <laughs> and a gorgeous looking game from a burgeoning shiny entertainment yeah big big fan but that is all we have got time for on this edition of the show thank you all so much for listening if you haven't done so already please do consider leaving a little rating and review for this show it helps us get noticed in those podcast feeds and get the under consultation name out there and if you want to interact with us on social media you can do so on twitter at under console pod and on instagram at under dot console and we've got a discord that's had mark stoneham who was featured on the podcast a few episodes ago it's becoming a really lovely community there a link for that is in the podcast description and if you want to support us in a financial way and get some stuff back in return you can support us on patreon patreon.com forward slash under console pod at a one pound level you get our thanks at a five pound level you get episodes a week early and ad free and at the ten pound level you get our thanks 
episodes a week early and ad free and a merch pack that is out there and is shipping. It's got a wicked, wicked collection in there. I've been really chutting all those pictures being posted online by our Patreon backers who've been sharing them. They look really, really nice. And shout out to some of those £10 backers, Misha, William, Gordon, Rich, Cliff, Adam, Adam, and Sean. Thank you so, so much for your support. We really, really appreciate helping us get to our first goal where we're going to release a Patreon-exclusive podcast reviewing other 90s TV shows in this same UCP style, which we're really, really excited about and i'm also going to put a request on here that i've thrown out on twitter and mentioned it on our discord if you or anyone you know has a vhs copy or off-air recording of red nose day 4 that would be the 1993 red nose day let us know that could be a fun albeit very long episode But that is going to do it for this episode. Thank you all so much for listening. We will see you in seven days' time for episode 18. Take care. Good night. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.